Hello and welcome to the Find Your Flow Radio Show podcast. I'm your host Winston Wittes, and I'm here today with a very special episode. Today's episode is a special guest interview. It's been a while since I've had an interview, and I just couldn't wait to interview this gentleman. He's someone I've seen on Instagram. I follow him. And he does some amazing things. He's a father of three. He's got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a one-year-old, a media company. He's a professional commercial videographer, photographer, and he's traveled the world. He's traveled the world uh, internationally, nationally. He's done, him and his wife have traveled across the United States. They spent two years going across the U.S. He's done missions in uh, all around the world. So really exciting guy. I'm super Super thankful to have him here, and so please help me welcome Sean Fredrickson. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Winston. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks so much for making the time today, Sean. So you're a busy guy. You've got three kids. You've got um, you know things that you do online. I know one of your videos has received over 10 million views which is amazing. So uh, this show, of course, is about finding your flow, finding your life's purpose. So let's maybe just start with that. You know, what is your, some of your favorite flow activities? What is your, your life purpose here? Oh, man. Uh, that is such a great question to lead off with. Uh, the, the idea of being in your flow is so necessary, especially through all the past 18, 20 months that we've been through where people have been locked up and closed in into this sense of fear. Uh, for for me, I I value the opportunity to inspire people, um, and so I find my flow being on stage when I I can kind of make connection with an audience. Um, I've recently been doing a, a, like a lot of these videos where they're like monologues, and I realize I really struggle at monologues. I'm not a fan of just talking to a screen or just talking to an audience. I'd rather engage. Where I had an opportunity to to speak at a university uh, last week, and I had a you know, a full class of students, I mean, you know, 17, or not, not 17, but I guess 19 through 21, like a gamut of, of college students. And and I found such a joy getting the opportunity to ask them questions from stage and them giving feedback and then going back and forth to find out what exactly do you know and how can I challenge you with what I know so that I can help you become a better version. Because I think the goal of of at least my perspective of what what we can do as a generation is help the next generation be better than us. Like, I don't want to steal all the resources. I want to give them my resources so they can stand on our shoulders or my ceiling can be their floor. And that really gets me, gets me excited. Yeah, I can certainly appreciate that. That's fantastic. And, and looking forward to uh, the next generation helping them and not taking away, being intentional about that. That's That's really exciting. How did you get on to, into that place where you're going out and speaking to students? Oh, gosh, I think it started as a, as a youth. Um, I've, there's, kids have always kind of been drawn to me. I have a, a bunch of little nieces and nephews, and, and I would always, you know, be playing sports, and they'd want to play baseball with me or football with me. And then in high school, I started doing, like, the youth program where I do the summers, and, and all these kids just needed someone to pay attention to them, give them a little... Um, it's like some tips or pointers on what to expect in the next five years, whether it's high school or, or college and whatnot. And I really valued how how much hunger there was. But it's interesting, you know. There's a there's a a verse in the Bible that talks about like the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
And mm-hmm. in those moments, I realized there's a huge need to find people that are just willing to invest without the selfish gain, you know, like just mm-hmm. to benefit the next generation, to benefit people behind them. Because a lot of these fathers have been so distracted with work or been so distracted mm-hmm. with uh, with the things that they own rather than taking that valuable or necessary time to invest in the next generation. And so it slowly grew into a passion. And, and now I love it, dude. I, I absolutely love it. Nice. That's amazing. I love that that verse that you shared. I, I haven't really heard that before, so it's um, it's really I, I think an important one and something that you touched on there too about fathers being distracted. Um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of us that that are busy, right? We've got jobs, we've got uh, careers, we've got um, taxes to pay, and and all these things. What kind of things do you do you do that um you know you're you're out there helping these other people what do you do for work if I may ask or, or well I know you're you're a videographer or uh, you know tell us a little bit about your your media company Yeah okay so for work I do a, a few things I have a live streaming uh, element of my work so I'll do events corporate wedding and funerals uh it's not super glamorous but it pays the bills and then mm-hmm. on top of that, I'll do commercial stuff. So this will be something like um, advertising for a small business. I've got a coffee shop right now that we're we're storyboarding a project where we'll be um, shooting a fun advertisement for them this week. Um, and really, that's that's kind of the bread and butter. And then as well as photo, I do um, lifestyle product photography for for brands that are selling, you know, activewear or um, or beverages and that kind of stuff. Nice, nice. Okay, yeah, I can certainly appreciate that. My mom, uh, you know, me growing up, she was a professional photographer, hair and makeup artist, uh, commercial stuff, weddings, and then myself, I got into, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more on the music side, DJing, and so I did weddings and corporate events for many years, so I'm very familiar. Yeah, um, so that's very oh, that's cool. Great. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, so you've got that side of it, and then this is kind of more your passion. What other – I've seen one video where you're doing some crazy, you know, fast bicycling. Um, what do you do for, for fun, for flow? What gets you into flow states? <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's another – yeah, so you mentioned weddings. Uh, how, did you, yeah. Have you done a lot of weddings? I've done a, a decent number, I'd say, dozens, I'd say. Okay, cool. Perfect. All right, so that's another thing that, that creates an interesting flow is there's so much pressure with a wedding, mm-hmm. right, where Goodness, if yes. you screw it up, all eyes are on you. And whether it's your DJ yeah. or the caterer or the cake maker, there's there's a pressure once you have an audience. Mm-hmm. I, I've photographed hundreds of weddings myself. I've done video mm-hmm. for weddings. I I still do them occasionally rather than a live stream, mm-hmm. but like photographing video of a wedding. Um, I still have that company active, but I'm not doing as much of them. But that's a, that's a unique flow state. But even mm-hmm. more than that, I would say, is cycling for me. Is when mm-hmm. I get on a bike on the road, there's something fascinating about cycling because you're by yourself. Uh, if you choose not to have headphones in and listen to music, you, you can't ignore yourself. And I find myself pushing into these activities where I have to hear my thoughts. Uh, so, so one of them would be cycling. Another one is rock climbing where you're on mm-hmm. a face and, and you have to engage with your fear. And that's the same thing that, that cycling kind of brings is, you're coming face-to-face with your exhaustion. You're coming face-to-face with your fear. You're coming face-to-face with your anxiety. And you can't avoid yourself. Well, commonly in life, we have the the luxury of listening to music while we're driving our car 
or we have the luxury mm-hmm. of turning on a show. We have the luxury of reading a book. We have the luxury of doing something that will pull our attention away from that anxiety, that fear, whatever you're feeling while riding a bike or rock climbing, you have to embrace it and you have to mm-hmm. problem solve and work your way through it. You're, you know, for me, I love cycling as well because it's a body ache or my mind wants to quit. My body wants to quit, but I know I have the ability. And so I keep pushing through. And, and I think as, as men, we, we need to be able to have that in our toolbox because 2021 is not going to quit. And if as a father you've got kids, you can't quit. My kids drive me insane. They drive me insane, dude. But I, I don't the have the luxury to make them go away. You know, we can't, we can't make our kids disappear. They're going to be there every night. You yeah. know? So might as, well, might as well have a little more self-control. Yeah, certainly. That's awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, bicycling, like you said, uh, you know, and rock climbing, those are two really cool flow activities. And, and I think you articulated it really well talking about you can't, you can't avoid it. You know, the, your, um, the fear, the exhaustion, it's right there and just dealing with it and being, being aware of the self and the body and the mind versus the body and mind with the body and, um really neat stuff and and then yeah being a father at the end of the day so uh a lot of a lot of good stuff there so um one of the things you had mentioned before um before the show we had talked a little bit about was you used to have a podcast where you talked more in depth about fatherhood and about um you know some other taboo topics perhaps so what are what are you you know how has that evolved for you what kind of things have you maybe um, gotten support around things you're saying or doing around fatherhood and or what things have you maybe had some pushback on? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think the greatest support that I've expe- experienced has been the need for fatherhood. We all need, we all recognize it. We all recognize mm-hmm. that men need to stand up, but the, the method to, to make it happen. I, I just mm-hmm. saw a video where there was a high school in, I want to say it was Louisiana, yeah, they were yes. experiencing. You saw this. It was great. Okay, I, I was gonna. Was yeah, like, so cool. You mentioned dads on oh, duty, good. right? Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The dads on duty, man. How cool yep. is that? Super cool. Well, and what's comedic is, is you have these psychologists, or you have these, the counselors on campus, and they're mm-hmm. using an academic perspective, or they're they want to take out like their beakers and they want to measure stuff and they want. <laughs> to uh, do some kind of mental prognosis on the boys to see what's wrong with the children. Uh, they want to right. take their temperature. And really, all they need is dads. <laughs> they need dads that yep. are making dad jokes and dads that yep. are calling them out and saying, my boy, like, you're better than that. Uh, and and it, it makes me think of how easy it is for a young man to deceive a teacher. You know, let's for mm. myself, for example, I, I hated school. So what I would do is I would just underperform, and it got to the point where the teacher thought I was stupid. And mm-hmm. so when the yeah. teachers thought I was dumb, they had a lower expectation. They'd let me mm-hmm. sit at the back of the class. But my dad knew I was intelligent, but my dad wasn't present. But right. think of the alternative. Like the an opposite is where you have a present father. What if he would have came in the room during the parent-teacher mm-hmm. conference, which my dad would never show up at? And mm-hmm. what if he came in the room and the teacher said, your son's underperforming because he can't read? And then my dad would be like, wait, what? Dude, I, mm. I discipline my son with reading. So mm. uh, give, me the, give me the book and I'll show you how I can read. But a, a mm-hmm. fa- that's a father's responsibility. 
to call out the generation, to, to call them up into their potential. And it hasn't been happening. And I think most people recognize that, but coming to a, a, like ha- coming to a, an agreement on how to make it happen because we've got bills to pay. We've got so much debt. We've got all these, um, responsibilities to balance. So what do I sell my big house and downsize to a small house? Well, I don't want to do that. Do I sell my nice furniture and get less nice furniture? Well, I don't want to do that. You know, like how do we create the time so fathers can, in- can invest in their kids? And there's no unanimous solution there. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really glad you uh, you brought that up, and that was something uh, that yeah, I saw that video too, and I was just like, man, this is it. This is this is amazing stuff. The dad's on duty, and that's such a, a big part of what it sounds like you're talking about. You know, is yeah, just being there, just the presence of it, yeah. and how lacking that has been for so many people, and and particularly in okay. certain parts of the country, right? Where, you know, it's just, uh, it's not as, maybe not, and so, and sometimes maybe even um, frowned upon by certain, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, is that, is that a thing where it's like, because it almost sounds like, you know, I could almost say like, well, Sean, that sounds very toxic masculinity of you to, uh, you know, what about the moms? The moms are important. Why are you, why is it all about the dads? Totally. Dude, moms are amazing. You can't undervalue the moms. Uh, even, like in my my realm currently, moms are leading the the charge, and yeah. they're doing so with force and veracity, and they're making change happen. But there's also a recognition that we're different, and it's I think it's the male's job to draw out direction and bring peace to chaos. And I'll give you an example. My my kids, they if I don't if I'm not paying attention. Or if I'm step if I step out of the room for a while, they'll start like tampering with things and they'll start messing with things and then eventually it's just chaos, kinda of like the school, right? Like that, that example mm-hmm. of the dad's just showing up and it creates stability. I come mm-hmm. back in the house and they see me walk in and all I have to do is be present and the atmosphere shifts. My wife will bring mm-hmm. it up. She'll draw it, she'll bring bring it to my attention. That the second you get home, the kids are always different. And it's the same thing with my, my wife. When I'm home with the kids, the kids are all like peaceful and kind of they've 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 got this general understanding of their role. But when mm-hmm. my wife comes home, they realize they can kind of take advantage of her or they can lead her emotionally. If they start acting crazy, she'll do specific things because we just think differently. And mm-hmm. not to say they don't take advantage of me because my my one year old, holy moly, that little baby girl <laughs> can get anything she wants from me. Anything, dude. Like anything, it could be her bedtime, and she like somehow snack, like grab some like sugary snack. I'm giving it to her. Uh, so see, yeah, my wife would never give in. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I think what I want to just simply lay out the reality that men and women are totally different. Not to say they can't do things well of the in the same lane, but mm-hmm. if we allow women to be fully feminine and empowered in their feminine nature not to say they can't be masculine as well as let men be fully embrace that masculine nature not to say they can't be feminine then mm-hmm. i believe that we'll have more direction as a as a group and we'll be more organized and be able to accomplish some of these goals i have a lot of women that reach out to me and follow me because they're looking for strong men that aren't like mm-hmm. chauvinists that aren't like right. boasting about their own ability but just merely saying this is where i'm going are you willing to go with me? And mm-hmm. and so few men 
have that desire to lead. And maybe it could be the culture because the culture has really told a lot of us as men that we we need to stop talking, be good little boys, be quiet and sit there in mm-hmm. silence. And, and I think that's really destroyed a lot of what could be good leaders. And so we need to call them back out and say, no, 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 you need to be loud. You need to be vocal. You need to be who you are. Like, don't be unruly, have self-control, but you, you're a man. And, and let's make sure that you, you're able to lead a woman well. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, I think it's, uh, it's well said, you know, because I know, um, certainly for myself growing up, uh, for those that have listened to my show before, people who are perhaps new, I grew up with a lot of programming, uh, negative programming around, um, masculinity and uh, mm. maleness in a sense. You know, I, I my mom became a Jehovah's Witness when I was very young, and uh, through her church, they had certain ways of saying things that just kind of made me very cautious about being a male and, and some of what might be male energy, right? So I think there is um, that. Yeah, um, you know, it's something I've kind of dealt with. That, that, that circle? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't think it's it's I don't think it's overt um and and it's I don't know that's even intentional to be honest you know I think it's kind of just yeah it, it kind of was it when it's like um I kind of got this idea as a young man uh you know be, as a boy actually just that um the way perhaps that men treated women uh you know was like as sex objects right like men treat women as sex objects oh. and they don't like it and I kind of grew up with that idea. And so for me, as a young man, it was very hard to, to – I had a lot of friends who were girls, but making that transition into, um, you know, looking for a partner perhaps uh, was yeah. very challenging for me because I felt like, I, well, last thing I want to do is offend a woman or, you know, treat her as a sex object. And that Whoa. caused me a lot of pain, uh, you know, in my teen years trying to have interactions with, uh, you know – uh, girls my age because I didn't because I was so scared to to put that on them you know that toxic male energy Absolutely. yeah it sounds like you were told that being a man is dirty yeah that's that's, that's ter- kind that's of terrible. It, it is you know and I'm a, I'm an older man now I'm 42 so I've certainly had right. a lot of time to consider this and and you know look at it through the lens of of a man, uh, you know, but it's certainly something that stuck with me. And I, I feel like this conversation is kind of in some ways, you know, being played out on a grander scale where it's like we hear these kind of things. And if we're sensitive to the, to the female energy or, you know, to, to females and it's like, well, yeah, any self-respecting man doesn't want to be a jerky, uh, you know, chauvinist so, pig and right sexist and all that. So that balance is, is maybe where we, we kind of might be struggling. And so I think what you're sharing is an opportunity to, to see a healthier version of that. Yeah, you know that you're bringing up such a great point, Winston. I I believe a lot of what we're encountering is a lot of where we have the uh, I don't even know a world without direction, like uh, doing the analysis, like that school where you have these guidance counselors that are, that are like scientists that are doing experiments on these children. Is what I visualize. Not to say that actually happens in that school by any means, but it's what I see within the, the world, like the the religion of science is this how far can we push this thing to make it do that and mm-hmm. and with it we've got a, a a culture that's crying out for direction 
and you have mm-hmm. men that are that are running to any version of masculinity. Look, why is Joe Rogan so popular? Why mm-hmm. is Jordan Peterson? Why did he rise to fame so quickly? Um, and, and and there's a plethora of these mm-hmm. these men that have just a a confidence about them, like Jocko uh, Jocko Williams, mm-hmm. the Navy SEAL guy. I don't remember mm-hmm. his last name. Uh, but these well, men who have yeah, who have a little bit of in, or insight, they have intellect, they have an oratory mm-hmm. ability, and they're willing to share their wisdom like a father figure. You have men that are just flocking to them because they're looking for, for direction that doesn't make them feel dirty. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's odd, too. Um, I And maybe this is too soon because we're going to talk about the Constitution and talk about history, but the founding mm-hmm. fathers, their vision of what masculinity looked like was wholly biblical. Okay, so what does that mm-hmm. look like? Because we as Americans have a lens which we look at religion through. So to go back to that is it's a respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Men respecting women and women respecting men. It's a mutual. It's a it's a counterpart. So Adam and Eve all the way back to the beginning, those two people respect like had a mutual respect. It wasn't he lording over her and which is so frequently like analyzed and and uh, like dogmatized within religion. It's not that at all. It's more of, of him recognizing he's capable of breaking breaking the branch and turning it into a tool, and she's capable of doing something like a, like um I don't know what I'm thinking like nurturing the children or birthing the children. Like he will never be able to give birth, but he can support her in creating the necessary tools to ensure she's comfortable when that time comes. It's it's this beautiful like symmetry that mm. that they're different shapes but they're the exact same. Um, and so mm-hmm. when I look at the foundation of the United States, there's a call within the men to be moral, and morality is one of the most difficult practices. Try to try to go without a making an error for one day. It's so damn hard. It's like mm-hmm. you can't even control your own thoughts, let alone to go without an error. And then to be moral is to do what you know is proper when you have the ability to do what's wrong. And this is what men at the foundation of the United States were called to do with moral, because it takes a moral populace to govern themselves. So the United States was founded on this idea that free people cannot govern themselves unless they're moral. Well, you look at the United States today, and you see a bunch of chaos. You see these people that are yelling all these ideas, but where are the moral men to reestablish the framework and the fabric to say, guys, this doesn't make sense. Let's 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 uh let's stand for righteous and true and, and do that. But it's almost become some type of dogma to say, this is the color blue, this is the color red, <laughs> and that's where chaos flourishes. When when um, you have a bunch of leaders in a room and nobody wants to to be the one that takes control, you create, there's chaos because they're all yelling, I want to go, it's lunchtime, and they're all yelling about, about a specific restaurant they want to go to. Well, there needs to be someone to say, all right, guys, who wants to go here and make the decision? And for some reason right now in our culture, we don't have that one person or, or organization or group or general direction to say, guys, we're going this way. And for me, I believe that's that's to go back to this idea of morality and righteousness because we know for sure if you're moral and you're righteous, there will be life. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, 
yeah, that's that's some powerful powerful stuff. I love it, and um, I'm getting a little bit of uh, audio issues. Um, I, I don't know if you can hear me okay. You were speaking, and it was going in and out a little bit, so I don't know if uh, you were moving or doing anything on your end, or if it's uh, my technology. Okay, uh, no, I'm just sitting here. Okay, uh, okay, that's, uh... so that's me. Okay, um, so I'm going to keep going a little bit, and if it keeps going, then what I'm going to have you do is uh, uh, call back in. I want to make sure that we don't miss anything you're saying because this is this is good, good stuff. So um, morality and righteousness and that giving direction, that being uh, a compass perhaps that, that we can look to somebody who's saying, using that as a way to show the way forward, to stand up and, and give us direction. Do you... Um, you know, because you're you're a public figure, I would say. You know, uh, at this point, if not, uh, you know, before. And so, when people see you, and so the the way I first um, learned about you and saw your videos was, um, you know, I'm actually have lived in San Diego. My wife and I lived in San Diego for for many years. I'm from California, born and raised, and uh, we've lived in San Diego for probably the last I don't know twenty something years. Um, my wife being a teacher in the San Diego school district for a number of years. And I, uh, you know, so we're we're pretty in tune or aware of things going on in schools and sensitive to those. And I saw some videos about you attending some of the school board meetings there. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on in and around, you know, that kind of stuff. And I want to be sensitive to things, but I also want to see, like, what what are you doing out there? Why are you there? What's that all about? Oh man, uh, gosh! <laughs> All right, so that sounds like it's a loaded question. So, why am I in San Diego, or why am I at the school board, or why am I speaking out? Um, you or know, we're we're <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> we got time, so I'd like to I'd like to hit them all. So yeah, why? How did you end up in San Diego? Uh, why why are you uh, you know talking at these school board meetings? Cool. So for me, my wife is from Indiana originally. I I was born and raised here in Southern California. Uh, Poway is where I was born, and then I lived up in northern L.A. County, kind of all over uh, L.A. County. Um, so I I had my travel the world. That's where I went, met my wife when we got back from traveling, doing some mission stuff. We landed in Indiana, and because that's where she's from, there's some work there, her family's there. And we had this idea of, hey, what if we work hard for a couple of years, pay off our debt, and and do something crazy, like travel the world again, or who knows what. We just felt bound by the debt that I had accumulated from college. And so I did, we decided that we would work, um, kind of live near the family, so it would be a lower cost of living, and we'd be able to make more money since we had connections. So we paid off our debt in about a year. I think we did it in 11 months. We paid off all our debt, and we did so well that we ended up uh, getting a nice little like um, savings that we – we got to dream about what we'd like to do. So we had some ideas, maybe moving to Spain. We had some community friends there in Spain. Uh, we went out and visited and realized, being that it's a um, a socialist a economy where they have so many social services that you have to pay into the system before you can become a resident. They won't just let you um, kind of, you know, because, for example, if you're there visiting, um, you have a child something like that, then then they're going to cover the cost of your child. Um, hmm. 
Therefore, if you become a resident, you have to pay into it. That way, you're not just milking the system for its value. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like $50,000 at the time to become a, like a resident. Um, and so we were like, you know what? Let's find something else to do. We don't want to take <laughs> up all of our savings on just on these visas. So, so we came back to the States, dreamt up what we could do. Instagram was uh, showing all these cool videos of people like, living small and, and, and doing this minimalist kind of thing. And so we started dreaming, and we, we started searching for an RV. So we flew up from Indiana to San, San Francisco, one-way ticket, and we rented a car and started driving down the coast looking for the perfect uh, RV. Why San Francisco? Not really sure. It was more or less just an adventure. We found a lot of cool RVs in California, so we decided we would just explore California and see what we could find. And uh, around Central California, we found one. We bought one. We drove the the um, the rental car to the airport, dropped it off, and we started driving around the U.S. at that point, where we traveled for about two years uh, in this mm-hmm. RV. And at the time, we had just two children, and mm-hmm. um, that it is that RV that brought us full circle back to California. Mm-hmm. And so we've been here for about four years now. Nice. So. There's there's that story. So I guess okay. the the question of why speak out is um that's a that's a great question because I think at this point we're we're in a culture that's asking the question of what do I do? Hmm. Do I have something to contribute? And and if so, what where? So for me, I've I've like I mentioned before, I've really enjoyed empowering the next generation. I've really enjoyed empowering my community. I've got a really tight-knit community of neighbors. Uh, we, we at one point during COVID, when the church is locked down, and they're mm-hmm. saying, you can't worship, we're like, screw <laughs> that. We are, we're, 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 we're going to worship. And so we actually got together as a bunch of neighbors and um, met out met in a little park, and we just had church together. And it kind of turned into this house church where we were, like the community was getting fed, physically fed, where one of our friends owns a restaurant, so they bring food every Sunday. And then in Spiritually Fed, where we would talk about what's happening in the community, and we would talk about how everybody's feeling, and we would talk about the fears and the anxieties that we were experiencing. And, and, you know, there's some funny memories I have with that. The neighbor that had the restaurant, we would sometimes meet over there, and mm-hmm. we would pull the shades down because at mm-hmm. one point, if you recall, it was, like, illegal mm-hmm. to meet up. Yep. Or, like, not illegal, but, you know, these mandates. Yeah or you couldn't right, meet up with right. people outside your household, which is thinking back to that is so insane. I can't believe right. we complied with that. How crazy. But we did. Mm-hmm. People complied, and we were afraid of the Nazi police showing up and mm-hmm. stealing our freedom away, and we would pull the shades down in the restaurant just in case if, like, a cruiser were to drive by, we wouldn't get mm-hmm. uh, like reprimanded for, for having a, a public gathering of any sort, you know, with our 20 or 30 people that were involved. Um, but that, that experience actually, I think is what really leveraged me speaking out is recognizing the fear of neighbors and friends. So I have friends from my previous church that would show up at our house church and they would just be weighted down and burdensome where she, she actually would frequently was the moms would show up, the dads were, overwhelmed and i think most men when we get overwhelmed we close off so mm. we'll, we'll go and we'll hide we'll go off and de- distract ourselves with television with sports with entertainment of any sort 
um, with work. I think work's a great way to hide. And once we're hiding, then we can kind of ignore the problem. Mm. So many of these women didn't have that luxury because they have children and the children or their, their, maybe their jobs like, oh, like the women that show up, they, they're looking for answers because they've been pondering all these questions of the world and they don't have a husband that's really present mm. to engage. So they show up and they're like stressed and anxious. Is the world going to fall apart? We had one friend, she drove to, to Oregon like over the weekend because she was so afraid of California becoming Germany. And so we had to like ring her back in, like, no, 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 like, come back. It's not, the world is not going to end yet. Come, come back. It's okay. Um, because there have been so many husbands that have been gone. And so our church has been really just trying to kind of like stabilize the community. And, mm-hmm. and this woman specifically uh, that I can think of, she shows up burdensome. And the first thing we talk about is let's, let's adjust the fear. Like, let's talk about, the anxiety, you could just see this weight that was lifted, that she didn't mm-hmm. feel the necessity to be perfect, like this insta-perfect world that we live in, that she could just lay her burdens on the table and talk about them and say, like, I'm anxious that I'm going to lose my kids. I'm anxious that the state's going to do something crazy. And so we, there's a plethora of moms at the table, and so these moms are expressing their ideas, and you have these moms that are talking about what they've experienced. And, and that that right there is what 2020 needed, needed most is real conversation and people that were willing to just be honest and discuss it. So from there, I really felt the need to, to speak out. So I'd go to rallies and I would encourage the community to come with me to rallies. And from the rallies where we were meeting people that were going to these school board meetings or these uh, county board of supervisors meetings, and they encouraged me to speak because there's nothing that that's new that we feel comfortable accomplishing where Mm -hmm. if you've never done it before, then you're probably not going to be the most confident. And so you have to have a guide of some sort. And Mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's really asking enough questions to find the guide and the guide to lead me to the trough. And then once once I'm there, I can figure out the rest of the job, you know? And so I had Mm -hmm. really great people that were willing to pull me in and say, Hey, this is what you do. These are some resources you could use. And so when I spoke at the county board of supervisors or when I spoke at the school board or when I spoke at the city, I felt more confident. And and I think that's just – and then now it's for me, it's like I want to give that same confidence to people behind me where there's a fear of them to speak up to the county board. And I think that that fear has been established intentionally mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. system. They don't want us to feel comfortable in that room. They don't want us to feel comfortable at the podium because if we found comfort there, then we'd stay. Mm. Wow, and and so you know, so I'm I'm now a uh, Texas resident. I live my family and I live in Texas, and uh, so people out here, and you know, I haven't haven't spent time in any other states recently, um, but it's a different vibe. It's a different reality, so to speak, um, than what we were dealing with in California. And so, yeah, you and I are talking in a way because we both kind of have a basic understanding. That, of what's happening there. So for people who don't, so for people who are, who've never, maybe they were locked down, but not California lockdown, right? Um, What, what, you know, and you mentioned the, the, you know, getting together secretly and pulling down the blinds and, you know, I have kind of experience with, uh, with what's kind of a, um, you know, something for me that gives me uh, that kind of um, 
social interaction and or physical interaction and spiritual interaction. Um, but for people yeah. who, who don't know that and, and it, it's kind of this, you know, out there like, oh, okay, yeah, you guys are locked down, you know, whatever. And, you know, some of the things you're saying, you know, sound pretty outlandish. You know, you had that one uh, lady, she was concerned that it's going to turn into Nazi Germany. I mean, gosh, this is this is for our own safety, you know. Don't, aren't you guys um, – do you feel – guilty that, you know, you're putting all of our lives at risk because you're, you're doing these mm-hmm. things. These lockdowns are for our safety. You know, we, we're trying to stop this, this pandemic, and people are, you know, dying of this. So what, what do you have to say to those people? Well, I, I, I love that. I love that. And that's what we have been encountered, uh, have continued to encounter this entire shutdown is what is the best way forward? What's the safest way forward? And I believe the the thought of what's the safest way forward is a setup for failure. When in history did an, organi- an organized group of people ask the question, what is the safest way forward? Did they think about that when they crossed the Appalachians from the East Coast toward West, when they had westward expansion? Did they think about that when they were crossing the ocean? No, they they set themselves up for success, but they knew the path before them was going to be dangerous. They knew the path before them would cost maybe lives, but they knew that if they didn't cross that path, then where they stood would be worse than where they're going. And I believe that's that's a necessary understanding of there's science out there. There's a, and the science is is so argued. So let's mm-hmm. let's not even discuss the science anymore, because you can, it's not it's not something that's tangible, because mm-hmm. the PCR tests, because the death rates, they can all be inflated or deflated to fit whoever's narrative you want to fit. That's unnecessary data. Like it's it's become so chaotic that we we're just not going to use it. So what we must do is look at our society as a whole, and to say what what is my community or what does this society need to ensure that the next generation is set up for success. And I'm looking at my community, like that little house church I was discussing with you. It's an interesting little uh, because there's, let's say, 40 uh, people in, in total that would show up at the little Sunday gathering. And we all live pretty close, and we're all kind of quarantining pretty close. And so none of us, you know, we're, we're – we're too crazy. But what's interesting is you have a range of ages. So you have very old people that are in, you know, their 80s, and you have the young ones, the children. And through all of the past 20 months or however long it's been, we've had the ability to engage and interact with each other daily, if not weekly, or weekly, if not daily. And mm-hmm. when someone would get sick, we would all just kind of observe and, like, We'd go give them food. We would still engage with them, give them food and help them. We didn't ever do this like, you're sick, you're going to die, hazmat. It was still Mm -hmm. like, you're sick, we're going to take care of you because that's what good people do. We take care of good people or we take take care of sick people. And what's interesting about this group is all the fear of of, uh, if someone gets sick, then everybody's going to die, contagion kind of thought. Never happened Mm -hmm. to the point where kids got sick, you know, the seasonal thing, got sick. And everybody in the community started getting a runny nose or a fever or whatnot. And, but nobody died. Nobody got extremely mm-hmm. ill. Nobody went to the hospital. Nothing, nothing of extreme peril took place. 
And for us, it was just a way to look at this and then compare ourselves to the mass media saying, don't see old people while we're sitting next to our friend who's 80 and he's laughing saying, I don't know what they're so afraid about. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it goes back to this idea of what do you believe and what do you know what is best for the future? And for me, I know liberty is of uh, essential. Uh, it's, It's of necessity for my children. If my children don't have liberty, then nothing else matters because whether they're healthy and safe doesn't matter because they'll be bound to a system which doesn't give them the freedom to do and be as they please. And so, you know, I I try to start there. There's a number of things I disagree with with the mainstream media and what they're doing and the science, but I think that it can get really hairy uh, if we we go too far in the weeds. But I'm willing to do it if you'd like. Um, no, you know, what you shared there, I, I really appreciate it, and I, I think that's a great way to, uh, I guess, kind of maybe even diffuse those topics because uh, because you're right, you know, like you could share your science and I could share my science, and we have two different sciences, and at what point does that just kind of cancel each other out? You know, if we can't agree that anybody's science is legitimate or illegitimate, then where does that leave us, you know, and I think yeah. that's where it's these conversations can become very heated and egos can become involved and that's not going to really help us. So, um, totally. yeah, you know, getting back to kind of what you, you talked about with your, you know, your folks there and uh, your little community and, and, you know, older folks, yeah, people still getting sick, but, you know, we're not pushing them off uh, by themselves and, and staying away, but taking care of them. And, um, yeah. you know, that we know that we're, we're social beings right we need each Mm. other to a certain degree and so what how much harm is it doing to to ostracize someone uh versus you know taking care of them um and and so how much of that do you think is your your belief system you know you shared that you uh you've done mission work you know is, is a big part of that your church is this a big part of just your personal ethos or or both you know where did where does that come from for you Man, that's a great question. Um, it's kind of hard to figure that one out, actually, as you're asking. I'm not really sure. I'm, as a Christian, a, a lot of what I do and who I am operates out of that. You know, it's kind of the well which I drink from, and I, I cook my food from, and wash my dishes from. Um, and so that that water is is touching everything that I that I engage with. So it it must be. The, those fundamentals of Christianity, and and my my adventure with Christianity is kind of unique. Where I was I was raised in a by a single father, and and he would call himself a Christian, but then he he wasn't really acting as one, you know. So the typical like um, uh, you know the typical preach preach what or do do as I say not as I do, uh, mm. father. Um, we call him like a hypocrite would be pretty easy to, mm-hmm. to say, you know. And uh, so I walked away from the, the ideas that he had. And then at 19, I engaged with a buddy who had just gotten saved. He, he just encountered, like, Holy Spirit. And and I was really engaged by, by his enthusiasm. And so I had asked him questions, and he kind of drew me in. And so we we went and started reading the Bible together. And, and I, reading the text of Scripture versus hearing someone tell me that I'm bad, or hearing somebody mm-hmm. shame me with it was a whole mm-hmm. different encounter, and so I kind of fell in love with with the man in the Bible, 
and mm-hmm. and these men and these these heroes of the faith because they aren't doing what many many hero complex individuals that we encounter are doing you know how many pastors will leverage some story in in scripture and then force people to follow him and and that dogma is what's destroying the faith um and so i've i've become a a lover of the underdogs i've become a lover of like the miracle stories you know it doesn't take much to make me cry when i see someone who had no hope or had no opportunity find some some incredible resource that he becomes something great because that's the story of the gospel uh, you know, it's like David and Goliath, and not many people know, but David was the youngest of a number of brothers. And a prophet comes to David's father, Jesse, and he says, um, "I I want one of your sons to be to be anointed." And so Jesse brings all of his sons supposedly to this prophet, and the prophet is going to anoint one of them, and he says, "No, the the one that I want's not here." So. Hmm. Jesse has to go grab the the bastard child from the field and bring him in because he didn't want this bastard child to be chosen. He's he's a boy that that to him was of no value. He brings him in, and the prophet sees uh, David and he says, "This is the one." And that's that's the gospel. It's and that's what masculinity is. Like what the prophet mm-hmm. did. It's it's calling up men to be better. And and I think that it's been contaminated. Unfortunately, so now you have a chaos and you have these chauvinists or these very selfish men that are lording over other men or lording over women. And that's not, that's not who we're called to be. And so I, I fully operate out of that version of Christianity, not this egotistical, uh, dominant version of Christianity that can be frequently used in the United States to, to promote some kind of tyrannical, uh, dictatorship in some small version. I, I'm, a full believer in this idea that uh, the prostitutes, the lepers, uh, the tax collectors, like if, if Jesus is going to call a tax collector, if he can call a prostitute, if he's going to call a leper, if he's going to call um, the uh, Pharisees, then he can call me because I'm one of them. Like I'm broken, I'm a failure, and, and if he can give me strength, then he can use anybody. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, for sure. My heartbeat is out of is out of that, and that's kind of where where everything flows. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Very cool. So, um, yeah, so you've been, uh, you've been, sounds like, walking that path for, for a good while now, and um, with, uh, you know, with things you're doing, with um, so much going on, uh, out there in in the world and on so many different levels, you know. Um, one thing uh, I want to make sure I, I touch on and ask about is, uh, you know, my wife, um, as I may mention, uh, was a special education teacher in San Diego for a number of years, and um, you know, part of the challenge with with a lot of things going on and, and why, you know, partly why we moved um, is, you know, we've got. It seems like, um, you know, we've got like you kind of touched on different a lot of different viewpoints or segments or divisions mm-hmm. of people seeing mm-hmm. things in different ways and so you know we we're not trying to fight each other so to speak you know it's mm-hmm. like we're we're on the same team but yet we're we're all seeing things from these different angles that makes it hard to communicate 
And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you could probably, you know, speak to this better than me. You know, I, I did go through – and one thing I want to say, too, is, you know, um, and I in no way, shape, or form am trying to put down um, – you know, my upbringing or folks that are in the Jehovah's Witness faith, you know, that's uh, certainly not sure. not my intention. That's just my own personal experiences and the sure. ways that I interpreted things, right? So um, so part of that is, you know, we there was a story in the Bible that I remember as a kid, uh, the story of Babel and kind of this idea of, um, you know, people talking in, in different tongues or talking different languages and, and suddenly not being able to understand each other. And, um, you you know, that's something I feel like it's – whether it was literal or whether it was just kind of this um, idea, you know, I feel like that's kind of what's happening right now where we're all speaking different languages and we can't communicate and we're saying things differently and it causes all this confusion. And you you mentioned – this, you know, yeah, there's – who's going to say, hey, this is the restaurant we're, we're choosing? And who would yeah. even recognize that person as the leader? It's like, oh, well, you, you shush because I don't like that restaurant. I want this other one. And now all of a sudden there's infighting. And, you know, well, I'm going to take right. my crew and we're going to go eat a Taco Bell and you go eat at Applebee's and, you yeah. know, whatever, right? So yeah. where, yeah. you know, when we get into <laughs> things with um, – especially with children, right, and with, with people's kids and we're we're trying to make – rules around how we govern children in in their education and in the school specifically you know how um would you do you hear from parents that are out there in in the schools i mean you've been this isn't uh if i'm if i remember you're not just at one school board you're you're talking at multiple you're you're addressing uh parents and, and these what kind of things are you experiencing from parents uh, you know, what's um, kind of been your experiences with uh, dealing with parents and teachers, too? You know, I know there's teachers out there on the front lines yeah. that are um, – I saw an yeah. interview you did with a, a teacher, and, um, you know, what are their experiences? Wow. There are – okay, so we have to start with the the number of experiences I have are vast. And I the, the experiences that I have will be probably – so vastly different from the number of experiences because there's so many people that are encountering the same issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I, uh, one of, and uh, I would say within my group, what I see are people saying, I didn't know I had authority to do this, or mm-hmm. I didn't know that this was an option. Or, you know, I, I see that as difficult as 2020 has been, I see that it's really opened the eyes of of the average person to what could be a version of liberty. Um, mm-hmm. I there's a, a counselor that I, I'm friends with. She's a, a student, uh, what do you call it, student counselor at at a high school, and she refused to comply with uh, these mandates. And so she decided that she would take uh, take a leave of absence. And now she has started her own business where she is counseling high school students. And so these mm. homeschool parents are able to reach out to her, and she'll have a one-on-one with the student, and she'll find out, okay, what do you enjoy? These are resources that I have. These are companies that I've connected with. And she's able to go a one-on-one with a student, and the parent pays her to do it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, there's downsides mm-hmm. to it. I think the first one uh, people discuss is the insurance. People mm-hmm. in the United States are very focused on ensuring that worst-case scenario, is it going to be insured? You know, those are things yeah. you've got to figure out, but there's also new doors that are opening for that, too, is there are insurance companies that are responding. Just like with censorship online, 
for the longest time, people would say, well, if you don't like Facebook, then get off of it. Or if you don't like Facebook, then start your own platform. Well, mm-hmm. really, who has the resources to compete or to create anything like Facebook? You know, we mm-hmm. experienced Parler trying to do that, and they didn't really have the resources either, which is why they they used Amazon Web Services to host their mm-hmm. servers. And we all experienced what happened with that when they said something that was contrary to what the uh, the Facebook overlords' uh, opinions were. So to go mm-hmm. back to schools is we have a lot of parents or we have um, even students that are being able to express their opinions as to what they do or don't want to do. And and I'm impressed by the parents that are saying, you know what, let's get together and do a micro school. Let's mm-hmm. uh let's let's take one of these teachers that has has these ideas about liberty or has these ideas about um, maybe maybe they're they're for inoculation in general, but they don't like the the way that this is being forced upon people. So just for the morals alone or the standard alone, they're choosing to walk away. Let's get that teacher see see uh, if we can interview her and see what she knows about. Um, she's a fourth grade teacher. Let's say let's see if she wants to maybe gather. We can gather ten of our neighborhood kids and she could be their teacher. And mm-hmm. and that that to me is powerful, as well as I got a buddy. He he was a fireman, and he decided that he was going to get involved in this movement. So now he's created an adventure sports camp where he takes the kids mm. surfing in the morning, skating in the afternoon, and wakeboarding in the evening. <laughs> because he knows that there are parents that want their kids to have these skills. So you have parents that are dropping the kids off all day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all day with him. He does these adventure mm-hmm. sports. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, they're doing like the bookwork stuff. And I, I'm, I'm elated for, yeah. for the hardship that we've encountered because these opportunities wouldn't exist had, had COVID not happened. And I'm an optimist. I, I feel like that's what Christianity is kind of birthed out of me is, is uh, the underdog has to be optimistic. And I feel like the more oppressive uh, the, the situation, the more hope that births from it. You know, it's like I'm not sure if you're aware of Christianity in 70 AD when the Romans came in and started just annihilating Christians. Well, they multiplied and they grew uh, because mm. oppression is, is good for an underdog because it's like the, the, the uh, <laughs> uh, there's like these classic movies that we watch like Rudy or like uh, mm-hmm. Miracle, you know, where there was no chance or no odds and the character that has the, the emotional tenacity will overcome it. And I think that's as Americans, we as a whole are beginning to to kind of have some hope, and we're as as a collective beginning to see that we have some options here. And for me, in education, my wife and I, we we take our kids to a um to a, a little uh like a resource academy. It's kind okay. of it's kind of built like a university setup. So okay. they okay. offer pottery, they offer abacus, they offer um oh gosh like archery. A number of different teachers come in and use the facility. And we get to appoint our child to whatever professor or teacher that we want the kid, that skill for the kid to learn. And like that wouldn't happen. Like those wouldn't, these opportunities wouldn't exist with a little bit of hardship. You know, like what what are you guys doing for your kids? What, what do you, what, what avenue have you guys gone with? Or what's it been like for you? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. You know, what you're describing with the, um, the little kind of university style of um, that's something, yeah, we started discovering when 
you know, our, our we have two boys, a uh, 10-year-old and a 4-year-old. And, uh, you know, this started a year and a half ago, and our oldest was in a, in a little private school locally, and um, just because he has uh, some learning stuff. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, not working out the way, you know, as the lockdowns got, got there, and uh, we, we pulled them out of school and, um, yeah, found just, you know, very similar to what you're describing, little cool things where he could go still be social with other kids and learn cool things like, okay, here's, uh, you know, nature. They went out in nature and by the lake and um, spent time learning about, you know, different kinds of rocks or clouds or, you know, animals. And, yeah, that's the kind of stuff, as good as a school can be, it's not, unless it's yeah. out there in nature doing it, it's it's just not right. that. So that was um, exactly. really neat to see <laughs> the accessibility that, you know, and I don't know if that was there before I, or if that was a result, like yes. you're saying, of of this kind of, uh, you know, thing happening. So that was super exciting. It, it, it worked well for his learning styles to, to actually be out there doing it and meeting kids that were doing like-minded things. So that was all totally positive. Um, when we moved out here, you know, we had been, we just got out here about uh, two weeks ago. And so oh, our wow. oldest had, yeah, so we're, we just moved out. We literally drove across the country two weeks ago. Um, and awesome. so, it, <laughs> uh, you know, sight unseen. I've never been here. Where we live now, I've never been. What? We bought, where, yes, where are you bought, in Texas? So we're out in just east of Dallas, about an hour east of Dallas. And, um, you know, I've been to Dallas once for business. I, I was in a hotel for, you know, a week doing a seminar and, uh, you know, just kind of went into town, uh, into into the city once or twice. So that's about the extent of my uh, Dallas uh, experience. My wife came out to try to do some, you know, information gathering, um, you know, for a few days beforehand. And then we sold our house in San Diego and, and bought a house site and seen out here uh, just because we felt called to, to do that, you know, to just get we, – we were having challenges, um, you know, with her being a teacher and us being, you know, our own personal beliefs. Yes. You know, we, we're not against vaccines in general. Our, our, our kids have had vaccines before. But, yeah, like, uh, like you shared, you know, the, the morality of forcing vaccines on anyone is, does not sit well with us. And, um, yes. And so that's, uh, you know, of, of importance. And, and if we looked at ourselves and our kids asked us, you know, five, ten years from now, well, what did you do during during that whole time? And we say, well, gosh, we pulled you the heck yeah. out of school. <laughs> you know, we, we quit our jobs. We moved across the country because that's right. that's where our line in the sand is. It's like, hey, you know, this yeah. is, uh, we're not going to force that on other people. But for us, that's how important this is. And if that's what it takes to kind of let other people see like we're putting our money and our livelihoods where our mouths are. That's that's what we yeah. have to do. And uh, so yeah, so our, our you know oldest was here. Um, he had his first day of school on Friday. Today's his second day of uh, in-person school. It, Friday honestly did not go great for him. Um, you know he doesn't didn't know how to be in the classroom. He, that's not something he's yeah. experienced since first grade. Now he's in fourth grade, and uh, you know he's just talking through reading time and asking questions. And it's like, you know, we're trying to, to help him understand like okay this is classroom behavior and you know this is how we address a teacher and with respect and how we listen and raise our hand and these things that many of us probably take for granted that somebody who's been you know quote-unquote homeschooled for the last year and a half um and and even that's a a generous term because at a certain point if i'm being honest you know he wasn't getting very much homeschooling because the frustration levels and 
you know, I'm working full time from home at that time, and I, I couldn't certainly, like you said, you know, like I'm not, I wasn't able to to really help with that. And my wife, even though she's a professional teacher, you know, you put um, her along with the kids for eight hours a day, that that eventually doesn't start going so well. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been <laughs> it's been good. It's also it was also very, you know, eye opening. You know, and that's kind of what I, I was touching on a little bit earlier. Sean was like, you know, in in California you're in this bubble of California and the way people think and a lot of people have similar experiences or perspectives on things. And we were of, uh, you know, a slightly different perspective and we felt like we weren't able to make the traction that we needed to, to make the change that we were looking for. And, and that's what mm-hmm. started to weigh on us was like, gosh, you know, we're fighting this uphill battle if if other people don't want the same thing that we want, then how long do we try to fight that versus just moving to where other people right. share the same thoughts, you know? And right. that's why, yeah. you know, seeing you and what you're doing was so, you know, interesting to me. It's like, gosh, you know, like, I really appreciate that you're outspoken about this and you're out sharing your perspectives and, and saying it in such an eloquent and educated way. And here, you know, we got here in Texas and it, people, you know, we're telling them about our experiences out there, and it's like, well, yeah, we were locked down, but it wasn't like that, you know. And it's like this is, yeah. it's just a very different culture. And that was, I think, the big, the word that my wife, when she touched on that, she's like, it's a, you know, the culture is different. We have to go to a place where we share kind of more similar idea about culture. And so that's why I find this whole thing so fascinating. It's like we don't want to force our culture on anybody, but yet we feel that in certain places that culture is being much more forced. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, you said that so well. I agree completely that it's culture is 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 of necessity. Uh, think about how many people have moved from around the United States to New York and from mm-hmm. around the United States to Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, thousands upon thousands, millions of people have made those journeys from their their central uh, United States home out to these big cities chasing dreams of some sort. And with them, they're taking their ideas and their culture to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles has its own ideas and culture. And, and typically, the culture that you show up with doesn't last. But still, your your youth or, or who you were doesn't disappear, but you adapt to that culture. And and I think you've got generations of people uh, that have shown up here in California with with the desire, really not so much for the culture, well, some for the culture, but I think it was more for opportunity in the movie industry or opportunity to be mm-hmm. next to the beach. And they they kind of get along with some of the ideas of the culture. Like I'm not sure how many people love the homeless in Los Angeles, and I'm not saying they don't love like homeless people. I'm saying sure. that driving along the highway and you see these encampments, uh, or like it's just it's insane. It's become a, a huge issue where now, I think locals are just like, well, how do you get this bad? Um, and mm-hmm. what I'm bringing that up because I think that you will sacrifice a little bit of comfort for uh, something that uh, produces stability or maybe uh, a lot more comfort. Like you'll sacrifice some of your comfort to gain more comfort. And mm-hmm. I believe that many of us have sacrificed our cultural comfort for like central United States style comfort of knowing that uh, you're not going to be mocked if you say like traditional 
the, the traditional family nucleus is a good idea to have a mother and a father in a home is a good idea. You won't get mocked for that idea in in mm. Nebraska or Indiana, and maybe in, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis within Indiana is very progressive, uh, where you would probably get mocked if you said that because they want to be Los Angeles. And this is a whole other rabbit trail. But from my travels, I've learned that many of these major cities in these these conservative states, like uh, like Indiana or Boise or uh, Indianapolis or Boise or uh, Kalispell, uh, Montana, uh, they're very progressive because what they see is they're fighting against these big bad Christians or these big bad conservatives or these big bad Republicans. They create this this uh this like uh, straw man out of People have different ideas, and they create this division. Therefore, it makes the movement stronger because they can create this big, bad thing. And so mm. these, these cities, you know, Houston, Austin, uh, Dallas, and Texas are very similar to this, where you'll have mm. a very progressive base because they see Texas as a whole as the enemy. And Los Angeles, they don't have that real freedom to do that because California is so progressive. So mm-hmm. the the conservatives here in California are more or less the minority. We're more or less like the David and the Goliath story. And so for us, we I think we can be more vocal because we can just point to our local leaders and be like, look at look at what he's saying. He's crazy, and and it's the truth. And people from the from any gamut of political spectrum can see the truth and recognize the truth as long as they're willing to see it. Not to say everybody has ears to hear and eyes to see. But mm-hmm. those who are curious and willing to see will see the truth. Um, so I don't. What was the question you asked? That <laughs> I don't know if I had a question. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> but you hit it. You hit it right on the head. So uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean that's it. You, you know, you've traveled a lot more than myself, so that's that's I think a really neat perspective. Is you know, um, and yeah, the the you know again, I I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I lived there for about 13 years, my family, um, and things, you know, uh, growing up there where we were, it wasn't a bad area. Uh, you know, we, as my family got, got better in, um, business and whatnot and grew, you know, financially we were good. We moved up into a, a nicer neighborhood. We lived in a place where, um, you know, we lived on a street that was very nice. Um, they used to actually do filming for a lot of TV shows and, and movies and stuff. So, uh, you know, a lot of houses. Like Pasadena? Um, in uh, Van Nuys, actually. Uh, Van Nuys and Sepulveda okay. was my bus stop. So, the you know, right cool. there in the valley. Um, yeah, so, you know, I grew up around that. Um, right around the corner was my best friend. And, uh, you know, that was maybe not as rich a neighborhood. You know, there was actually, he was, uh, you know, coming from poverty. And so it was kind of an interesting dynamic. And then, um, you know, eventually there was uh, violence at our school. You know, I went to a good school, but there was there was violence and uh, drive-by shooting and then another. And, and things got to the point where my parents uh, – and then that was, uh, you know, the L.A. riots. You know, I was there during the L.A. riots. And, yeah. Um, my grandfather was a builder, and, uh, you know, his building got hit with a uh, Molotov cocktail and uh, during the riots. And so it was very real for us, you know, that whole thing. And uh, growing up in that environment, my parents got to the point where it's like, you know, we got to get the heck out of here. This place is just becoming too crazy and too violent. And so we moved to San Diego and, uh, you know, had been there pretty much ever since until uh, I went away to college. But my whole life and my whole outlook – and so I lived in Northern California. I lived in uh, the Bay Area in uh, Oakland and then Berkeley for uh, a year each. 
And that was okay. that was very eye opening for me because coming from Southern California, you know, it's a very right. different vibe, right? It's like a different world. Totally. And you know, seeing the way that people think and acted up there was like I felt like a fish out of water just being up there until I kind of got totally. into that vibe, right? And and now you know, then like moving out to Texas is like whoa, this is different. So. You know, you've been in other states, um, you've seen, you know, these other cities and, and all this, and I think that's so cool. And so, you know, the, as far as, like, the way forward, as far as, like, you know, getting people on the same page, if if there is a same page, and if not, like, what is, where do you see this whole thing, like, do you, okay, I guess maybe a question would be, like, is there, uh, okay, so one thing I guess somebody, people have said to me that that's kind of an interesting thing is, like, is there any, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, um, you know, but, like, is there some kind of uh, conspiracy going on in terms of, like, socialization or moving toward um, a more socialistic kind of uh, policy overall? And is that, if so, is that a bad thing? Oh, man. Well, what's the easiest way to control people? Um, fear, I guess. Yeah, fear for sure. Um, as well as if if you if you're able to to like your kids, your kids mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, you said ten and four, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with your kids, how much freedom do you want to give them when you've got stuff to do? You've got an objective. Let's say um, you've you've got a project that you're trying to work on that day, and your kids have ideas and they want to do something, but really for you, you've got a project in the, around the house that you have to get done. You're going to put them in a position where they won't they won't hinder your ability to accomplish that goal, or better yet, you, you're going to put them in a position that's going to benefit your goal. And mm-hmm. I see there are these systems in place where these massive corporations that are making a massive amount of money and they know how to to leverage people to become a a a, a, a valuable um, cog in the wheel and. Mm. And I think, uh, oh gosh, let's look at um, let's look at Amazon or Walmart, okay. and mm-hmm. these these corporations have been able to expand to the point where Amazon is no longer using FedEx. They've created their own shipping company. Wow. Or look at look at Apple. Like Apple, mm-hmm. Apple has uh, they're manufacturing their own computers. They're manufacturing. Uh, um, now they have a media company. Uh, they're they're doing licensing and distribution for music. Like that's a computer company. You know, a computer mm-hmm. company has jumped into the entertainment spectrum. And look at Disney. Like Disney is uh is a cartoon company or a cartoon creator that mm-hmm. is. I I think what we're getting to the point is these individuals have so much money and resources that they're able to expand their growth, kind of like a uh, I don't want to say a virus, but I feel like that's what I have in my head where naturally they're just going to continue to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate because that's what big businesses do. And mm-hmm. these big businesses, they have a stranglehold on politicians, man. Uh, so mm. I don't know how complex we want to get, but your question about do we have to worry about socialism, I think socialism is the easiest way to control people. Mm. Where if people are free, then you can't control them very easily. Because they're going to have small businesses, they're unpredictable, they're um, they've got random ideas that you may or may not agree with. 
I think I think that's why science is so uh, prevalent at the moment is because science you can control science, just like we discussed earlier. What we have to do is censor the other ideas and call them crazy. Anybody that opposes them is crazy. Those ideas are crazy. So you can and then um, and highly promote your ideas and, and validate your scientists and say this scientist is the leader of all scientists because he's the smartest and most brilliant. He went to this university and we all praise him. So you give him the accolades to to make sure that he's trusted, promote everything he says. But you're also, not only do you promote what he says, you kind of, you, you direct what he says. You guys are on the same page, right? And mm-hmm. and so science in itself is also a study. Like it's supposed to be evolving and changing and questioned, but no longer do we do that with science so much. It's more of like an accepted truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that's why science has been accepted by the same people that are pushing a lot of these socialist ideas because religion, uh, religion is something that is less. It's not as easy to control in the United States because freedom of religion, where mm. the United States is the birthplace of hundreds of religions, hundreds, thousands maybe, mm. of religions came out of the United States because there's the freedom to practice what you want. So if you have a religion where you worship um, goats. And you feel like you're gonna one day be a goat with your little goat family in some fairyland, like you mm-hmm. can believe that in the United States and create of doctrinal books and buy land and practice your little goat fairy tale land ideas with full uncertainty, like with full, like go for it. As much mm-hmm. as you want to do that, go for it. As long as you're not hurting other people in the means, and but that's unpredictable. So these corporations don't like those unpredictable things taking place. And so they can remove them. Like you remove the unpredictable. Like you, you step in any business meeting, uh, what they're looking for is something that's measurable. And, and if you can measure it, then you can apply it, right? Mm-hmm. And I see that the United States is the same exact direction. Is what We have corporations that are running uh, this, this ent- the entity of America, and that is very dangerous, which is why we see the small, like the, the destruction of the small businesses. Those are unpredictable. We have no idea what these small businesses are doing. How are we? How are they going to help the the big picture? So get rid of them. Get rid of religion, uh, the idea of God and the idea of any other these religions. Get rid of them. They're unpredictable. We can't control them because they have the freedom to believe whatever they want. No, we want them to believe science because science, if they can fear and if they can worship what we worship, we can control that. It's like um, England. England. They had the Church of England. They controlled the Church of England. There wasn't a freedom of religion in England. And so all they had to do was control the church that they all had a belief to. And if you control the guy that tells them what to believe, then you control the people. It's why the United States was so adamant to have the freedom of religion, because you can control You have a freedom to think. It's what you believe. It's what you understand. And the founders were so adamant to ensure that the Church of England would never happen. So when pastors at the time of the Constitution was written, pastors are writing letters uh, to like Jefferson, and Jefferson actually wrote a letter back to one of these pastors, and he said, "Don't worry, you will have there is um, a brick wall between the church and the state. There is a separation between church and state, and you can practice and do and be as you wish." Hmm. So the words are to say there will always be liberty for those that that practice religion in America. Unfortunately, bureaucrats and these corporations are able to twist the words of these men who have the idea of what freedom looks like 
to say that you have to remove religion from the state, which is not at all what was intended. For example, at the Continental Congress, uh, when they were creating the Declaration, or not the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, they prayed for three hours, dude. Before they even started, they were in prayer for three hours because they knew the weight of what they were doing and treason and all that stuff and the, uh, the, the American Revolution. So religion was a primary in the creation of the United States of America. But the problem is for us to say the word religion, there's so much, uh, so much uh, garbage to work through because we have these tainted glasses because I believe – that these corporations don't want us to practice religion because there's too much freedom in religion. They want us to practice mm-hmm. science because science is controlled. Interesting. Interesting. That's a, that's kind of a fascinating uh, outlook on things. And, um, yeah, I certainly appreciate that perspective. And, uh, you know, it makes me think, you know, too, like what you were saying with, um, you know, during the, during the lockdowns, how you you weren't able to to go to your church and uh you know your you and your fellow uh churchgoers had to kind of create your own and it was only it was you know under uh you know it was hidden you had to close the blinds and, and kind of hide from uh, yeah. like Gestapo or you know the uh, you know the yeah, uh, totally. police um you know I'm I'm actually uh, half Jewish and uh, my so my ancestors oh my gosh uh, you know yeah I came from uh, Europe and uh, you know settled in Chicago and opened up a Jewish deli and all that good stuff. And then on the other side of my family, oh, wow. um, my, my Oma was actually German and grew up in the same town as Hitler. Um, she saw him speak, oh, wow. as it turns out. Yeah. And, uh, wow. and you know, her, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I actually see both sides of, of how things came uh, to be in that, in, you know, from their perspectives of uh, these, these interesting things. And when you talk about things like religion and, um, you know, I start thinking about like, what must have been like for them to to have experienced that whole kind of turn of events of like, hey, these are our neighbors, these are our um, fellow Germans, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, these these people are different. Uh, they're they're unclean or they're this, yes. and, and you know what we are kind of experiencing here. Kind of, you know, I'd hate to to say like that's what's happening here. Or that's what we're you know compare what we're experiencing to that horrendous situation. But there, I, I think there maybe are some parallels or similarities, or maybe something we can learn yeah. from those kind of things. Do you see any totally. any correlation between any of that? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary. Mm-hmm. I think once you, you turn someone into an other, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. And you know, Germany wasn't the only time in history that you had human beings that were dehumanized. Uh, you know, it happened in the gulags in Russia. It happened in Japan. It happened in China. Uh, it's, uh, it's Central America. It's happened. It happened in, in Rwanda. It's taken place. Mm-hmm. And these 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 are very human things to do, and they're done by very dark individuals that want to accumulate power. Now, we how do we combat it? Is is a big question, um, and I believe that. You know, it's everybody. The word love has lost a lot of value, so maybe I should just avoid the word. Let's go with hope. You have to provide hope. You have to give courage. You have to be willing to stand for truth. And I'm going to bring up morality and righteousness again, because you're going to have these very strong leaders that use fear, paranoia, isolation. The, so the antithesis of hope, the antithesis of joy. The, they're going to use the opposite of emotions to control people. And if you can whip them into a frenzy. 
then you're capable of, of providing the solution. So if you have an individual like um, that's really narcissistic or selfish or, or greedy, they can create chaos and then be the answer to the chaos, and everybody will think mm. that they solved the problem. And I see a lot mm. of that happening here in in America is there's a, a chaos created because chaos is great opportunity to make money. You know, there's no greater greater money made than going to war um, mm. with those contractors. So you have government con- – you, you know what I'm saying with the Manufacturing tanks and manufacturing ammunition and manufacturing uh, guns, those are all private companies that manufacture those things. The government writes hmm. writes these checks to these private entities that are making tanks and making guns and making ammunition and, and making airplanes and all that stuff. Those private entities are making a killing when we go to war. Well, it's just like right now. They're making a killing in pharmaceuticals in the medical industry. These hospitals are getting paid more money while they're empty than they did while they're at capacity. So why would they want to go back to capacity? You know, it's hmm. and then they get to cut nurses. So why why go back to a regular system when the system that's currently operating is more profitable? And and what I'm looking at are a bunch of people that don't value humanity as being humans. Nor do they value dogs or nor do they value really any species beneath us. It's they value money. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to make more of it. Therefore, are they willing to to cause grandma and and her and her husband that have been married for sixty five years to die separately in a nursing home? They don't care. They don't they don't mm-hmm. care about your grandma. They don't care about how long they've been married. They don't care about their love. What they care about is making money off of them. And that's how the dehumanization works. Is if you can just create enough fear, if you can create enough paranoia and isolation, then the chaotic few will do whatever is necessary to get through it. And I believe that's what they've done. And and by they, I mean, um, we have, um, gosh, who, who are they? They would be pharma. Uh, I think they would be, um, a lot of people would be like, it's a conspiracy to say that there's people at the top pulling the strings. And, and I'm going to say, that I don't think that there's any one person that is pulling all the strings or a handful of people. I believe there's a lot of greedy people that are saying, well, that makes sense. But looking at the science that's been skewed uh, in, in their favor to make more money, and they're going to say, well, that makes sense, and they're going to apply it. Not to say that they've, they've got a moral obligation to choose what's best for anybody. I don't think that matters to them. I believe that you have like hospital directors. I know of one. He runs a local hospital here in San Diego, and he was um, against mandating anything on his employees. And then once the science got to him, he changed his opinion, and then he's been very draconian toward all of his employees. I think that it's a gradual thing. So that guy has authority over everyone in his hospital, and he's mandating this stuff. And is he? And he, he's also operating out of fear. Like he's, if somebody were to get sick because of COVID then he's going to be responsible for that. And he goes down this fear of, like, oh, I'll get sued. And I think that has, has been a great tool to control people of being sued. So how many small businesses are doing the same thing that he's doing because of the fear of getting sued? You know, fear is a powerful motivator, and it's used extremely well. Like, to go back to your example with Hitler, he used the fear of the Jews to, to quarantine them into these little camps and to to begin to begin to attempt to exterminate them, it was fear. 
no different than today. Fear is being used like as a as a drug to control the masses. Like if you if you want to control a bunch of cattle that are out in the field that are all um, like spontaneously walking around doing whatever they want, if you can scare them into a frenzy, they'll all run together, and then you scare them one direction. You can force them to go one direction. All of them. They will all come together, and they will follow each other down the path if you can scare them into it. And it's exactly what's happening because you're not thinking consciously when you're afraid. You're you're simply trying to get out of the scenario, and and they're using science as as their their path to get from point A to point B. And I think that the science is, I mean, there's enough to expose that the science has been controlled, not for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Those are those are some fascinating uh, you know things that you're sharing. I certainly appreciate that. That's. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I could see, I could see how one could arrive at a at a perspective like that. Um, so, as far as uh, you know, going forward, as far as like a future, you know, these. Um, and, and one thing that you touched on was like, yeah, you know, maybe these people are are doing it because, yeah, they're afraid that like, hey, this this is a liability. If I don't fall in line with yeah. this, or somebody gets sick and on my watch, you know, it's going to fall back on me. Um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of maybe a, a neat um, perspective to hold too for, you know, if if somebody is like a, a head of a hospital or head of a doctor's thing and, uh, you know, that, that, that hospital leader could say, well, gosh, you know, I've got the science here. I know better than you. So, um, you know, we need to, to force these vaccines because we need to keep you safe. This is for your yes. best interest. Right. Um, yes. You know, yes. it is, and that's where I feel like it's kind of interesting and heated. Right? Is like, well, you know, and the song that's playing in my head all of a sudden is that my best interest. You want, you know, what my best interest? How are you going to tell me my best interest is? Um, you know, all I wanted was a Pepsi. Anyway, um, so there's this idea of, yeah, who's who's to say what anyone's best interest is? And you kind of shared this idea of like, well. The, the the four you know the the forefathers so to speak of America kind of and you know these people didn't have um, they they weren't worried as much about the fear uh, so much as like what if we don't do this what if we you know yeah. don't take this opportunity and that seems like um, that that's maybe frowned upon in some circles or maybe mass media of like hey no let's play this safe let's we gotta you know choose yeah. to flatten the curve. Um, that's all locked down. Like Australia, you know, I think is maybe something that's, uh, you know, I, I've had people talk to me, well, Winston, you know, you got to well, look at how great Australia is doing. They're locked down. They were locked down, but, mm-hmm. you know, everybody got the jab and now they're good and now they're free and they have their free, they have these mm-hmm. new freedoms. They can go out. They can hang out with people. Like, wow, that's a new freedom. Goodness. That's, that's amazing. How yeah. do we get some of that? Yeah. What, you know, right. do you have any thoughts on that? Well, are they, are they free right now? I think they're locked down um, again, aren't they? Uh, well, as of like two or three days ago, one I was uh, we have a cut. My uh, wife has a cousin out there in Melbourne, and so uh-huh. you know we try yeah. to. She tries to kind of keep in contact with her, and you know watch. Uh, you know I, I try to watch. Um, so for me, one thing I think that this brings up too, that's kind of a, an interesting thing that I love to hear your opinion and experiences on, is um, you know I, I think what's what's a fascinating um, phenomenon. Uh, that that I've experienced anyway is that this idea of like 
having a talk with, like, if you and I were friends before this, you know, we were just uh-huh. chatting, and and I said, hey, Sean, you know, um, I was, uh, you know, doing this research. I, I was watching these beetles in my backyard, and did you know that they, they, you know, navigate by the moon? It's amazing. You know, I've seen them do it. I've watched it. I've been watching these guys for months now, and they, they do this really cool thing. And you're like, well, you know, actually – I, I saw in the news that that's not true at all, that they use um, the sun. And I'd be like, yeah, no, I know that's what they said, but actually I've been watching them, Sean, and you've known me for years. And, and you know, here's yeah. what I've been doing, and here's my personal experiences, and, and you're, you would maybe quote the news again. So would you right. say that there – have you noticed any kind of like – and you did touch on it a little bit earlier, but just kind of that loss of like, hey, like – you and I were we're cool. We're people. I know you're a real person. You know I'm a real person. Yeah. Why would I have any yeah. need to deceive you or lie to you about this? Right. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it's the same thing. And I. Oh my gosh. This, that's such a great question. There's so many things, examples that I have going through my head. Um, <laughs> there was an a news piece when Mayor Garcetti came out and he said, "You know how the the old saying goes, you know about snitches." Well. Mm. Now snitches get rewards. You get reward if you if you if you call on your neighbor who's breaking quarantine rules. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing that happened in um in Soviet Russia. It's mm-hmm. the same thing that happened in China, uh in Germany, where you have these people that are, are snitching or calling on their neighbors. You know, there's those classic stories where you hear the father being called out by his daughter. Uh, because mm-hmm. the phone was doing something that the state didn't agree with, and and though what they're able to do is plant plant that seed of fear in our youth, and the youth don't have the experience, they don't have the understanding of history to comprehend where exactly the ship's going, and so they're willing to to follow through and do what they want because they're looking for affirmation. The youth always want affirmation, and and so they will execute as desired, whether it's uh, maybe the youth is maybe they're not getting affirmation from their parents. Uh, you have a lot of youth right now that are in public schools, while the parents are so distracted, uh, paying bills, um, and taking care of the the debt ceiling in their house, mm. that mm. they don't spend that time with the kids. So the state, which is funded by the federal government, will plant these ideas just like they did in Germany, just like they have done in China, um, just like they have done in Russia, and these ideas are slow. Uh, it's a hundred-year plan, and mm-hmm. the, eventually, just like just like uh, the leader in hit of uh, Germany, Hitler said, "I may not get this next one, but I'll get the next one." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's scary that they're how patient they are, and by by they I mean the opposition, and by they I mean these people that are attempting to remove the liberties in America. Uh, you asked. You mentioned that Australia is free again. Like your friend said, look, look, they all just shut down. They they closed down, and now they're they're free. Well, is a lion that's in the zoo free? Hmm. He's breathing. Yeah. Hmm. He's mm-hmm. eating. He gets mm-hmm. to sleep when he wants. He gets to walk around where he wants in that little exhibit. So is he free? Hmm. In my opinion, I would say he's alive, but he's not free. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. he was free, he'd be able to leave when he wanted. And I see right. that the United States of America gave us as Americans the the option 
the ability to be free. And unfortunately, over the course of time, we're choosing bondage over freedom because we get a free meal. The lion gets a free meal every day. It's a slab of steak and it's safe. He doesn't have to worry about the gazelles. He doesn't have to worry about competition with the other lions. He gets the steak and he's fed. And he's comfortable. He sleeps. Gained a few pounds. Doesn't really matter, though, because he's got nothing really important that he would have to fight off. So he'll survive. So in his mind, maybe he's free. But outside mm. the cage, we're all staring at him thinking, man, that sucks. I feel bad for that lion. Mm. And that's, I think that's what we as Americans are looking at with the Americans that are conscious of what liberty means. Uh, mm. So I look at liberty as being the option and the ability to do what you ought to do. And freedom is the ability to do what you want to do. Freedom is kind of like a child running around the neighborhood doing whatever is crazy. And liberty is saying, ah, i got to fix the roof. I'm going to. I have the liberty, the freedom, I'm going to get the resource, I'm going to fix the roof today, now. And mm-hmm. it's like it's managing your property, managing your responsibilities. It's it's you have a domain that you are responsible for, and you can move it if you want to. Um, and I, I don't think man, many Americans long for that anymore. Uh, just like the Israelites demanded a king, they they had liberty. God warned them, you know, you you Israelites have have everything that you want. You have food, you have everything, all the resources, yet they demanded to have a tyrant king lord over them and tell them what to do because they didn't want the responsibility because they, they desired safety over liberty. And unfortunately, in the United States of America, we are encountering the same problem. And the only way that it changes is if you if you jumpstart the heart of man to to like to turn on the, the desire to to be responsible for ourselves because we can plug ourselves into Amazon. We can plug ourselves into Walmart. They will pay us well. They'll give us insurance. They will make sure our families are cared for, but they will also take advantage of you. They will also, um, here's a good story. I got a buddy. He had a, a job at a really high end, um, farm here in, in, uh, Encinitas. And this farm was paying him a lot of money they even gave him a car to drive. He had one car. They gave him a company car to drive. And it was a brand new 2020 whatever Volkswagen awesome diesel thing. It was dope. Mm-hmm. And once they got the once he got the car, things started to change at work where they started to demand things from him that he didn't normally get demanded. And they he, they started kind of taking advantage of him in a little ways here and there. And they started expecting more hours from him. And they they started kind of like sucking his soul, and they, they really started kind of disrespecting him a little bit more, not because of uh, of any behavioral stuff, but because, like, they they, they had their grips on him. They realized mm. they they owned him. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because Dang, yeah. not in the sense of, like, what's he going to do? Is he going right. to walk away from a free car? Is he going to walk mm. away from this nice salary? What? Yeah. What is he really going to do? And that's where many Americans sit today, but we're so comfortable with the salary. We're so comfortable mm-hmm. with with the the exhibit that we've decided, ah, I'll just deal with the berating. I'll deal with the disrespect. I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. I can endure it. But my buddy gets me emotional because my buddy said, I'm better than this. Mm-hmm. So he's, he... He got the car detailed. 
mm-hmm. like professionally detailed. He drove the car to work. He he uh, he showed up, got a private meeting with the owner of the company, and he said, "I want you to know, my vision for this company was greater than what it is today. Today, mm-hmm. I'm giving you my two weeks' notice. Here are the keys to the vehicle that you gave me. I will be walking away." On top of that, I want to give you advice. He gave the the owner of the company advice, and he said, I see that you have diverted from the original intent of this company. It's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I request that you today will resign. The owner of the company, he asked him to resign. Mm -hmm. Because this man that I'm talking about knows what freedom is, and he knows what liberty Mm -hmm. means. Liberty does not mean safety. Liberty Mm -hmm. means you have the freedom and the ability to do what you ought to do. And hmm. in Australia, do they have that ability? I think no. Can they walk around? Can they go buy building supplies when it's time? No. They have to get a permit. They have to get permission. That's not liberty. That's not freedom. That's they're in an exhibit, and they're being told that this is what freedom looks like. And and that's hmm. not that's not what I visualize for America. Wow. Yeah, man. That's that's a, a fantastic. I think there's probably a lot of people who could relate to that experience. And, you know, when you're sharing some of the, the like, kind of the slow, um, you know, these plans perhaps of, uh, you know, patient plans, you know, I, I'm reminded of that story that most of us have probably heard about putting a frog, putting frogs in a, a pot of boiling water, oh, and yeah. you just drop them into the boiling, you know, they jump right back out. But if you, if you do it slowly, they don't recognize what's going on. And, um, you know, it's like, what would that, what would that experience be like for us humans? You know, how might something like that mm-hmm. feel and look if mm-hmm. we were to look around? How could we tell if that, if we were in that situation? And uh, it almost mm-hmm. kind of sounds like you're saying maybe that's, that's what's possibly happening at, at some places or, or across the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Where, you know, here's, I've got to get going here pretty soon, but sure. think about, think about this. When when the foundation of this nation was established, it was by the people for the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no social social systems. You know, there was not to say that social systems didn't exist because they did at the time. There was welfare, you know, systems in place. You know, these people were very intellectual. They they read a, a, an exorbitant amount of of information when they came to the table to figure out what to do. And they they came to the conclusion that ensuring that the people, the United States of America, the people would have the authority, therefore the people would be engaged in politics, the people would be mm-hmm. responsible for running their cities and their, their towns, their cities, their counties, and their states. The people would be doing that. Mm-hmm. But you look at America today, and what do we have? Politicians doing it. We have the average mm-hmm. person will say, dude, I don't want to be in politics. Politics are dirty mm-hmm. and dark. Yet they, can, they right. complain about the system. Hmm. Think about it. Interesting. This this nation yeah. was established for you and I to ensure morality and righteousness for the next generation would be passed down from one generation to the next. But that that it's been such a slow boil that now when we think about the way that things are supposed to be done in our city, our town, our city, or our county, we look at somebody else. We'll we'll hire somebody else to go out and hmm. speak for us rather than doing it ourselves. So we're delegating an authority over the top of us. We're we're putting someone above us to lord over us. And then when they do it improperly, we don't reprimand them. We simply like kinda of get angry, we'll gripe, and we'll vote somebody else in next time. 
rather than taking that responsibility ourselves. And it's, it's, I think, and as well as this within politics is in almost every avenue of life. Like think entertainment. We used mm-hmm. to learn music ourselves. We used to play music in our homes and entertain right. ourselves, right? We would play games with our yeah. kids. We would uh, kind of cultivate this uh, an entertainment at home. Now that's been outsourced to the television, or it's been outsourced to uh, pro sports games, or it's been outsourced to the other things, right? Um, food, same kind of thing. Like food has been outsourced, obviously. I don't have to go down that route at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's hard for me to find any avenue we could pick and there has been some kind of delegation of some authority over the top of you. And I believe that that's, a, that's another example of the slow boil because liberty is when you have authority over something, but dependence is when somebody has authority over you and you're dependent on those resources. Like the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Why is everybody freaking out with the supply chain thing? Like yeah. realistically, what's the big deal? Well, food. Because <laughs> we are all so dependent on the supply chain for food. If the supply mm. chain gets cut off and our food for some reason doesn't make it from one place to the next place or the truckers aren't shipping our food from one place to the next place, and i got to go two weeks without food, am I going to survive? You know? Mm. it's yeah. Not many people have gardens anymore. Not people are self-sufficient anymore. And this is where we need to go. We need to focus on having strong families and being like um, being able to be self-sufficient because that's where liberty comes from. That lion doesn't have the ability in the exhibit to go get food. If his trainer or if his lord decides, you know, we've got a we got a steak shortage, so you're you're going to get a steak one every one every two days. Mm-hmm. So the lion still has the beautiful exhibit. So is he still free? No, man, that's not freedom. You know, he's 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 duty bound to do whatever is necessary. The, the the trainer were to come in and say, Okay, now you've got to jump through this little flaming hoop to get your steak. The lion's gonna do it because he's hungry. Mm-hmm. He's led by his nice. his carnal desires. It's the same thing as us, dude. We're in the same kind of scenario where the government mm-hmm. has has slowly boiled this up to an extent where we're paying all these taxes. We're we're paying uh, these social services. The pre- our previous generation didn't do a good enough job of challenging the government that now here we are at a place where if we don't do it, the next generation will be even a worse position. So it's really mm-hmm. come to a head for us to take that responsibility back, start assessing all the damage, and realize, damn, this roof is jacked up. We're going to have to mm-hmm. be up here a long time. But if we get enough hands, maybe we can take care of it. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's uh, that's fascinating. You know, it reminds me of the Victory Gardens, you know, back in World War One and Two, where, you know, people were uh, growing vegetables and fruits and stuff in their own yards to kind of help with that war effort and, and yeah. you know, the shortages perhaps. And, and uh, yes, food, food will win the war, as they said. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a fascinating, yeah, take on, on that. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, I know uh, I know you're a busy guy, yeah, and uh, you know you have you have things to do. Um, uh, you know, one thing uh, I, I, before we before we start to wrap up, you know, I know that you've been sharing, um, you know, holding kind of online courses or kind of sharing things about so people can kind of become more familiar with what are their rights, what are their liberties, what responsibilities do we as Americans 
have and what is the constitution? What are, you know, what does it mean? Um, would you uh, share a little bit just about, you know, what you've done with that, what you're doing, maybe some resources that people uh, who are interested yeah. can learn more about? Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm trying to do is take someone who doesn't know anything about the U.S. Constitution or the state constitutions or their rights and get them to a place where they can assert them. Uh, so I was, at a, I was at this place over a year ago, I guess two years now ago, where I picked up the book uh, Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine. And mm. that book shed so much light on what America was intended to be that I started asking, like, wait a second, if that's what America is, what am I living in? And it took down this rabbit hole to study the U.S. Constitution, to study the Federalist Papers, and to go through and uh, like some of the founding fathers and read their books and hear their ideas. Because I was, I was under the belief that none of them were Christians. I was under the belief that uh, they were all just these atheist, nihilistic, uh, like uh, slaveholders. And come to find out, a lot of these ideas that I had were, were just uh, propaganda. And once I came to that conclusion, I realized, man, more people need to know this stuff. And mm. I'm going out, I'm doing class, I'll do classes, like in-person classes. I'm about to do some cool stuff with, um, uh, I don't know if I want to address it just because it hasn't been booked yet, but uh, there's a great a great movie that's out. It's called Non-Compliance. Chris Ann Hall is the um, maker of that. I highly recommend it. It's really digestible. Uh, check that out. Uh, you can check out my Instagram, too. I'm constantly trying to encourage people to to take chance, to overcome fear, uh, to be more moral, more righteous, and really get involved. You know, you don't have to know anything to get involved in politics um, as long as you know what's right and wrong. And if you can stand up for what's right and wrong, you can have a conversation with a politician because many of these politicians don't know what's right and wrong. They just do what they're told to do because they're getting paid by their donors to do it. These unions, these corporations own these politicians unfortunate um so i'm trying to just expose that and really encourage people hey man it's a lot of fun let's, let's do this together boom i love it and uh yeah you you said it um i wanted to just kind of reiterate um one of the movies you shared was uh non-compliant by chris ann hall and then um you said you're also on instagram so people can find you sean frederickson on Instagram and uh, the books you mentioned, Common Sense by Tom and Thomas Paine and the Federalist Papers. So all great things uh, worth mm -hmm. checking out for sure. I really appreciate you sharing and uh, you know making the time today. Is there anything else um, you know that that maybe I didn't touch on or that you'd want to you know share before uh, before we start to wrap up the call today, Sean? Man, Winston, this was so much fun. I I think we. We covered so much ground, and I think dude, we could go at least another. We could go another hour. Dude, we might have to do this again because this has been so much fun. Yes, I'm really grateful for the time that you've you've made for me, um, and, and I hope that your audience gets something from it. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate that, and uh, yeah, again, appreciate you making the time. And I'd love to have you back on the show. I think it's super exciting to you know talk about these kind of things, and um, you've obviously you know have a lot of experience and you've been doing this and following your passion and your calling and sharing well, your your wisdom and your knowledge and passion with so many people so I wanted to recognize you for that and um, just thank you you know I thank you for what you're doing Dude, absolutely, man. thank you for what you're doing appreciate you yeah likewise my pleasure 
So thank you, Sean. Thank you to you, our listeners, friends. I really appreciate you guys. This is where it comes together, right? Like, I think it's easy to sometimes get uh, get in this mindset of, like, oh, I'm all alone. And, uh, you know, nobody else thinks like me and nobody else is seeing what I'm seeing. And I just want to let you know that's not the case. You know, there are people who, um, you know, uh, we're all we're all together in this. And we're moving forward. So I appreciate you sharing this with anyone you think we can appreciate it, you know. And uh, that's the Find Your Flow podcast. And, uh, again, thank you to our guest, Sean. And until next time, my friends, be flowing.